I'm Liam Printer, and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour, falcha, and welcome to The Motivated Classroom podcast. Thank you all so much for being with me here today. I am very happy and excited to be chatting today to uh, a wonderful, fantastic, inspirational teacher and a great friend as well, Yannick, here in front of me. So um, it's very exciting to have Yannick here and I'm going to say a quick hello to her. She's currently in Belgium, I think. Is that right, Yannick? Yes, it is right. <laughs> Belgium in Flanders. Excellent, excellent. How are you doing? Are you OK? You got some good news yesterday, right? Yes, I got a granddaughter uh, from yesterday. Amazing, amazing news. So I will be back to speak to Yannick very shortly. We're going to talk talk about teaching illiterate students, teaching students who are coming from trauma or from very difficult circumstances, and also how we can teach using this comprehensible input approach when the students don't have a shared language in front of us. And that's a very common question I get is, I can't translate into English because that is not a shared language. So we're going to talk about these today. And I have seen Yannick in action at various conferences, and she's just a brilliant, brilliant teacher who really knows how to connect to her her students and to make the learning exciting and interesting and, and is just so inspirational, so much so that I have taken a leaf out of her book and I'm also starting to work with some illiterate adults in the refugee centre here in my local town, all based really off of the inspiration from Yannick. So I'm going to try and introduce her uh, as best I can right now. Yannick has been teaching Dutch in her hometown Ghent in Belgium for 36 years. Her students are typically illiterate adults or very low educated adults with very little reading and writing skills and many of them do not have a common language. In addition to her job in Lego Ghent, she also gives lectures for teachers at the CNO and that's the Centre for Training and Education at the University of Antwerp. And this is typically around methods for illiterate people and using the comprehensible input approach in a class when the students are illiterate. In 2012, she developed the course Svartopit, I think I've said that as best I can, for technical reading and writing in Dutch for illiterate adults. So. She really works closely with people who have a very low literacy level and in particular those who don't have that common language. So in 1985, she started already following a TPR training style. So TPR is that total physical response. But she says that the real game changer was when she learned about the comprehensible input approach and the technique of circling, particularly with illiterate students using images. And she also has been working closely with the story listening method, thanks to Benico Mason and Alice Ayel for their videos on this. Story listening, she says, allows her to use optimal input in her classes and is a really nice way for illiterate people to, to listen to a story and just concentrate on, on understanding the story. Yannick also says that she likes to sing, although not always pitch perfect, but that's OK. Uh, and she loves songs and using jazz chants in her class. As Of course, for illiterate students, this is very, very helpful. Music is, is common between us all. And during the coronavirus lockdowns, she created a website, which she now says that she cannot work without. And I will share all of these resources afterwards with you. So without further ado, I'm going to go now and have a chat with Yannick and we're going to talk about some of these issues. So first of all, Yannick, I guess I'd just like to hear about your overall philosophy in the language classroom. You know, what type of teacher are you? What are your main priorities when you're teaching? Okay, first of all, I want to thank you for this uh, invitation and for the kind words uh, you said uh, about me. So thank you very much. 
what kind of a teacher am I? Well, I'm not a teacher who is taking uh, the students by the hand. Uh, I see myself more as a facilitator in their uh, language uh, acquisition. I was once talking to uh, Daniel uh, Logsdon Dubois. I think it was him. I'm not sure. But anyway, he said that uh, he sees himself more as a language parent, as a language uh, mother or father who is uh, helping uh, the students to acquire the language, who is telling them stories, pointing them things out, giving meaning to what he says, and uh, who does it with a lot of patience and uh, a lot of love. And I found that a very nice, a very beautiful image of uh, what a teacher should be. And I hope I am a language mother for my students. <laughs> but being a facilitator means also that you have to put the responsibility to learn with your students. And that is something that is not obvious for uh, our students uh, because they have never been to school. They have, they don't know what to expect. They don't know what will happen in class. And they have this strange idea that the teacher is someone, I think they, they think I'm the almighty one who will <laughs> open the head and put everything in it. And you really have to learn the students that they are in control, whether they will acquire the language, yes or no. I can only help them. I can make sure that they have the things. I can give them the tools to acquire the language. And that's, you already said it, I like to use uh, the class site because I can put videos of my lessons, I can put songs, I can put things on it, they can hear me talking, they can see uh, the things that I say, they can see the meaning of the words that I say, and they can watch it over and over again, and they decide how many times they, they uh, watch the videos. Well, they, they see how fast they acquire the language, and they really like it. Wonderful, Yannick. Yeah, thank you so much. Like, I completely agree with you. That thing of being a language parent is such a lovely image. And, and Jason Fritz spoke about this as well recently. Mm -hmm. That idea of, of, yeah, I don't know how you being a parent to your students and trying to help them acquire the language in a natural way without being the, you must do this exercise, you must do this, you must complete your homework. I think it's a, a very nice image for it. And having seen you in action, I think that I, I definitely would, would go along with that and think you are much more of a language parent inspiring me to, to continue to learn and acquire, which is lovely to see. So one of the things, Yannick, is that a lot of people have got in touch over the last, I suppose, six to 12 months. And maybe that really is a reflection of what's been going on in the Ukraine. Now, of course, we had many, many, sadly, refugees before the war in Ukraine ever started. And, and I know the refugees that I work with here are mainly from Afghanistan, from Syria, from Iran. They're, that's mainly where they come from. But of course, in the last 12 months, we sadly have seen way more Ukrainian refugees due to the war in their country. And many teachers have been getting in contact with me and asking me for some advice about how should we go about teaching people who are coming from trauma, who are coming from really difficult, challenging circumstances. And I guess I just wanted to ask you about that. This is something that you are doing on a daily basis. So what kind of tips or advice would you have for teachers who are teaching more refugees or more people coming from very difficult and challenging traumatic experiences? Well, First of all, you have to take the traumas in account. But at the same time, 
I want uh, the traumas to stay outside my classroom door during the lesson because that's important and my students tell me that uh, they like to come to the lesson for that reason because they have to focus on my stories and we are laughing a lot there's a lot of laughter in the classroom and they find that so important because for them that is a possibility to forget their problems for the time of the lesson being so i think we cannot let the traumas uh, come in but of course when i see that someone is quieter than normal i will uh, talk to this person uh, during the break or i can ask him uh, can you stay a little bit longer after the lesson and then i talk to them and only the fact that you tell them oh i see that you are having a hard time sometimes is enough for them that they say, oh, my teacher has seen it and he understands it, that uh, it's a difficult day for me. But if you let the traumas come into the classroom, I think that's not a healthy situation. I don't do it. So, Yannick, one of the things I've seen you talk about before, and, and, and you mentioned this to me before, is you made a little, I suppose you'd call it like a little wardrobe or a cabinet. And I suppose for the people who are listening to this, it, it looks like a piece of paper with two doors on the front. And it, so the paper is kind of split in the middle and you can open and close the, the doors of this piece of paper. So when you open the two doors, you see the pictures. And then when you close the two doors, you don't see the pictures. And and you told me about that you have kind of included some of the, the sorrows or sadder things or worries you have in your life in that. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about how that works in your class? Yes, well, I have put, as you said, I have put pictures to make clear that we all have sorrows. We all are adults and we all have our problems. And then I tell them very shortly uh, about the sorrows I have, not in detail, but just to give them some examples. And I say, when we want to learn, when we want to acquire language, it is important that we close the doors of our uh, black cabinet. I call it the black cabinet with the sorrows. And we have to close the doors so that we can uh, learn easily because if we keep the doors open we will be thinking of our problems all the time well the first time i i did it i didn't realize that this would have such an impact because they all were nodding their head like yes yes indeed you have to do it and then in the same lesson i made another cabinet with flowers it was the happy cabinet and uh, i said to them i want you to draw into the cabinet because they all got this uh, flower cabinet, the happy cabinet, and w where you could open the doors to, and they had to draw their dreams ah. in it. And some of them were draw uh, drawing their family who would come to Belgium or things that made them happy, like someone was uh, drawing chocolate and someone was drawing a cigarette and he said, oh, I like my cigarette. I, I really need it and I'm happy when I can smoke my cigarette. Just sometimes it were yeah. little things. Sometimes it were, were, were big dreams and I used it. As afterwards, when I made a, a story with them and I said, oh, well, you will visit your, your family and then say, oh, no, Yannick, I cannot, I cannot. I don't have a passport, I cannot. I don't have a visa. And then I said, oh, but you can open your cabinet. You see, you have this picture. Well, 
When your cabinet is open, you can do anything you want to. Open your mm. cabinet. And that's what I say to my students. Open the doors of your cabinet and all your dreams. Imagine your dreams come true. You can do anything. And then the stories come out. They can imagine. Yeah. Uh, then they need this little support to, well, you need to do something uh, to make uh, telling a story possible because otherwise they say no 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 it's not possible it's not possible yeah that's so true and you've touched on so many lovely things there I think the first one you said about teaching students or, or adults or, or kids or anyone who comes from trauma was as you said your your class is a happy fun place with lots of laughter singing and just as you said they they really need that and they really appreciate it I know when I, I do little sessions with refugee kids here and what often when they come, it's just to play. It's simply just to put drawings out and sport and balls and let them literally play and just smile and have a good time. And they say exactly the same thing. Often their parents will say to us, like, it's great for them just to have a space to just play and not think about all these other issues and problems and the trauma that they've come from. So that's a huge thing. And I think it's really important to say as well that when we say that we want them to leave their trauma outside and to leave those really awful things they've experienced outside, we're of course not trying to say that we want them to leave any of their identity or any of who they are. If they want to share something about their identity, their background, what's happened, then of course we're open to that. But we try and exactly as you said, Yannick, I, I completely agree with you to try and show them that we want this to be a happy space and and we all have problems, we all have sorrows and issues. But in this classroom, we're going to think about happy things. We're going to learn together. We're going to acquire together. You know, I would never say to students to, that we want to leave any of their identity out. That's that's a really important thing. And and that that difference is slight, but very important. Saying to students, we, we want to leave the trauma away from right now. Let's close the cabinet doors. Let's close the wardrobe. But we want to open it to those dreams and those happy things and those exciting things. And and I think that was a lovely thing you touched on, Yannick, that I guess for some people in who are listening to this and the, maybe the jobs we have, the kids we teach, when they think about dreams, it's making money, going to university, it's being a professional footballer. Whereas often when you're working with people who have come from trauma or really difficult situations, the dream is exactly as you said, it's incredibly simple. It's a piece of chocolate. It's a cigarette. It's seeing their brother. And and these are the kind of things that it, may, it gives you a lot of perspective. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that, that the importance of making it a happy, fun, vibrant, laughing experience and immersing them in stories. And as you said, that wardrobe with the happy things allows them to imagine, allows them to be creative. And, and you forget that that's quite difficult when people have come from really difficult circumstances. So... Yannick, I'd like to just go and ask you another question now that comes up very, very often for me. And this is about when we try and teach with comprehensible input, typically we often translate back to the common language. We'll often say translate it into English or if you're teaching in the Netherlands, translate it into Dutch or if you're teaching in France, then you translate it back to French. But if the students in front of you don't have that common language, how do we get over this? How do we overcome that obstacle where we can't translate back? So what's your advice and how do you go about that considering these students don't share a language? I think translations can hinder a language acquisition. So if you look at a child, you don't translate everything with a child. 
child doesn't have a second language where you can translate to so what do you do with children you tell them stories you you are looking to pictures in a book you're pointing them uh, things out and you're saying oh this is this and this is that and that's how you acquire the language by making everything comprehensible by pointing to it by repeating a lot and by uh, showing things that uh, are interesting for them you don't need uh, to translate all the time last year i was substituting for uh, for a teacher for a colleague who was ill she was teaching a group of people who could read and write and she had a student and she spoke french she wanted me to translate every single word because she said i don't understand i don't understand she was really blocking on every word that she did not understand but Actually, she was the only one in the class with whom I had a language in common. So I said, I don't want to translate for two reasons. First of all, it would not be fair to all the other people who I cannot translate for. Secondly, this is a beginner's group. It's the first level. So if the other people hear me talking French, they don't know whether I speak French yeah. or Dutch. It is it's a foreign language, so I cannot do it. And I said, but I have an idea. Every time that there is a word that you don't understand, you write it down. If you don't uh, know how to write it, show me your hand and I will write it on the board. And if you, you see a word in a text you don't understand, you mark it. And after the lesson, I will take time for you. And I did. After the lesson and the first time, it, it took me more than an hour. She said, oh, I don't understand this word. I didn't understand that. She had a whole right. list. And I said, okay. First of all, you tell me, what do you think the meaning is? What do you think it is? And then I will say it correct or not correct. And she understood a lot of things correctly. And that gave her such a, a confidence. And every day the list became <laughs> smaller and smaller. At the end, she only had like three, three words. Uh, and there was one day she said, I understood everything. Yeah. And she was so happy. And I think if you translate all the time, they don't have to do the effort of understanding through the yeah. context. Yeah. A child doesn't uh, need the support of translations neither. It understands little by little. So the only thing you have to do is to take little, little, little baby steps and repeat, repeat, repeat. But it comes little by little. And I think, Yannick, one of the things you mentioned there, yeah, you're right that, you know, maybe we, we, we fall back on this translation way too quickly and too often. And actually, a lot of the time, as you say, you know, there is that fine balance. We want students to understand what's going on. But we can do that with gestures, with hands, with images, with our face, with all sorts of stuff, while still giving them loads of inputs. And yeah, now and again... When we are teaching in a class where everybody shares English, now and again, it's useful to just translate the word because it's much quicker. But we still want to spend most of the time giving lots and lots and lots of interesting inputs. We certainly don't want to translate every sentence, every word, because as exactly you say, if I have that student in my class who's, who's from Korea and he's got a very low English level and he's in my class, he doesn't really know. Are you saying something in English now or is this in Spanish or what am I supposed to be? You know, there's loads of stuff going on there. So, yeah, I completely agree. And I guess... That would take me to the next point, and maybe this is part of our next question, but I wanted to ask you a bit about your use of images. You use images a lot for understanding. All the time. Yeah, all the time, right? And when I saw you 
at the workshop in the Netherlands, the Dynamic Language Learning Conference in, in September, you were giving an image about a bus or something like that. And you said you wanted to remove the background because some of the students weren't clear. Could you tell me, tell us a little bit about how you use images and particularly the background remover? Well, I try to remove the background as much as possible because background gives noise. It can make that people understand it completely wrong. Uh, the example of the, the bus, if you take the picture of the bus like this, oh, then they can understand mm, the bus is driving or uh, is it the street where the bus is driving or do you mean the bus driver or do you mean... But there yeah. are so many meanings that they can give. When you remove all the background, they can only see the bus and even then they can understand it wrong because it might not be clear does she mean the bus or does she mean the bus driver but then you can work with arrows i i use a lot of arrows to remove the background and it's very easy there is an online program it's called remove.bg okay uh, like background yeah. you upload your drawing and you click on remove and you can download the picture without a background and you save it as png such a fantastic tip and and you could see when yannick did this presentation for us the difference like you showed that picture of a bus and it was pretty obvious to all of us it's a bus but you were right right behind the bus there was a tree there was some leaves there was a sign yeah. and if i've never heard that word before and you're pointing towards that image I, yeah i'm not sure is she talking about the bus or does she mean where the bus is the context like it was really nice just to remove the background and now i'm focused oh it is a bus that's what she's talking about and you gave another thing, Yannick. I, I hope I remember this correctly. It was something like a table or something. And you gave, yes. could you tell us about that example as well? That's one of my mantras. Everything that they can understand wrong, they will understand wrong. I once had a lady and she was uh, speaking French. And that was oh back in the 80s. And in that time, it was really taboo to translate. You could not use translations. That was not done. So I thought I cannot translate. And I was doing a TPR uh, lesson and I set a point to the table and I heard her saying, she said, what is a table? And I said, well, this is a table and this is a table. And I was pointing to tables, but apparently I was only pointing, I didn't realize I was pointing to tables that were empty. <laughs> and so I heard her saying, oh, c'est vide, c'est vide. But I understand French. So I said, oh, no, she understands empty. So I said, no, 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 no. It's it. And I, I again, I pointed to my table that was not empty. And I put my hands on the table to make sure that it is the table I want to say. Oh, c'est du bois, which means that it's wood. <laughs> you mean wood. And then I I had no 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 and I was I started to draw a table so I pointed to with my hands to uh, the top of the table and I draw the top of the table and then I pointed to the legs and I draw the legs and then I heard her say alors c'est une table which means <laughs> what well, then it must be a table and I said oh my God yes it's and I was really uh, whispering to her. Oui, c'est une table. Because yeah, 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 I yeah. didn't dare to translate it. That was not done in that time to give translations. And that's where I think it's really interesting that if your students do share a common language, that's a circumstance where you can quickly use a translation. That's absolutely fine. Yes. But of course... We want to give them lots and lots of input. So translating quickly something like that is fine. And if your students 
are okay with using technology if they happen to have phones or computers which many of them may not have if you're working with students who are coming from a very difficult background but if they do and they can use it to translate back into uh, Gujarati or into uh, Hindi or into Polish or whatever then that's okay but we don't want to just always fall back on that you know I think that was uh, something I really got from your workshop that you can make it really immersive in Dutch but really the key thing is the word comprehensible. Yes. You were making it comprehensible all the time with your gestures, your actions, all of these things. So what I do now is when I uh, do TPR and I say point to the table, I first point to the image of someone who points and then I point to the, ta- the picture of the table and then I point myself to the table. Why I repeat it all the time. Point, and I I point my left hand to my hand that is pointing. Point to the table. And again, I point to the images on the board of the pointing lady and the table without a background, of course. Of course, without the background. That's the key point. And you use, as you mentioned this earlier, you use those arrows very cleverly as well. Like, so Yannick, when she's teaching, uses arrows uh, a lot of the time to, to convey movement or the story or things going forward or and I, I think that's really really clever as well because that can things like goes walks you know they can be very quickly misunderstood yes. and and you're very good at, at, at using those arrows that's a very clever a clever use of the arrow when we're t- telling the story as well one of the things that comes to me a lot is that people are often asking me when we are teaching languages and we're teaching students who have very, very low literacy levels. Um, maybe they didn't grow up in a house where people read to them. They didn't grow up reading. They didn't grow up in a situation where that was the norm. And and we are seeing more and more of these students, very sadly, who are, who are coming to us, who are maybe aged 10, 12, 13, 14, but have the reading age of maybe a three or a four year old. And this is just the reality. And of course, we can't just say, oh, well, you know, they're not for me. I'm not, I'm not supposed to teach them. I need kids who can read. That's the, no, your job is teaching those students in front of you and you have to figure out a way to do it. So for you, what what would be the kind of must knows, the really important things that teachers need to hear if they have students come into their lesson who have very, very low literacy levels like that? What, what, do, you, what do you really need them to know? Well, first of all, I want to say something about what you said of the reading level of a three-year-old. A lot of my students don't even have that level right. because they, well, we are all born illiterate, but they come from a family uh, that is illiterate because illiteracy is often uh, goes from generation to generation to generation. Someone who is illiterate doesn't have a good job, doesn't have a well-paid job. So illiterate people often live in poverty. Right. If you live in poverty and you have to choose whether you are going to buy food or whether you're going to buy a book. What will you buy? I think you will buy the food. So they don't have books. They don't have drawing books. They don't have picture books. Our children, like I see my grandson, from the moment that he could could look, he had already his little books. And I could uh, show him the books and I could point to the to the drawings. Our students never have seen those books. So even our way of drawing is difficult right. for them. Uh, I like to use the example of the sun. When we draw a sun, we draw this circle and then all these little lines yeah. around the circle. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. But 
Have you ever seen a son like this? No. <laughs> no. My grandson, he understands that this is a son because he has seen it hundreds of times, uh, this kind of sun. And we say, oh, this is the sun. And when we are going out, oh, the sun is shining. And he, he learns the pictures the same time as he learns to, uh, to, to speak, to understand the words. My students have never seen these pictures. Right. So how would they know that this is a sun? It's not a sun to them. So you must be very careful by using pictures. Okay, so you need so to do yeah. so much more. I like uh, story listening. I like that a lot because drawing makes you tell slower. So that's an important thing of uh, story listening. I like to do the story listenings, but uh, I always show first a picture. For instance, I showed a picture of a cow and then I start drawing the cow and I point to the picture. Oh, I'm drawing the head of the cow and oh, I'm drawing a tail, etc. But I show them first the pictures and then I start drawing. Yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, Biniko Mason, uh, I like to see her when she's telling a story. She has her uh, specific way of drawing, but our students would never understand her drawings. Because these are not, when she draws a man who is sitting, I think they would wonder, what is that? You cannot, you cannot say it in their language, oh, I'm drawing this. So they are looking, when I'm drawing a cow, they are looking like me. Is it a table? Yes. No, it's a cow. Yeah, the drawings are, are important because if you only show the pictures, it goes too quick. While when you draw, they have the time and you are, you are always repeating. Uh, the cow is doing, the cow this, the cow that, and you are, you are repeating the word. They hear the word over and over again and they see the picture over and over again. So you have the benefits of the pictures and you have the benefits of uh, the drawings. That's a great point. That's a really, really great point that you show the picture first. So when we say a picture, we're meaning something you've got from the Internet or a picture that is digital, let's say, that is very clear. This is a man sitting or this is a cow in a field. Or But then when you're drawing, you, you link the two things by pointing at them and that drawing aspect. Like I personally, it's something... I don't do that much of is drawing while I tell a story because I'm so bad at drawing. <laughs> but you're so right that when I do it, it slows me down. It gives the students time to process, to think, to hear more inputs and often to laugh at my drawings. And so this is also a really good part of it, right? Yeah, that's important. Something else that is important to know when you work with uh, illiterate people, that's that they don't recognize the words in a sentence. If you can read and write, you can see the sentence and you can literally see the words in a sentence. Our students cannot read. They can only hear. But if you hear a, a sentence in a language that you don't know, especially if it's a language that is far from your own language, like like Dairy or Pashto or something that is very that's not close to Dutch at all. So what they hear is a cacophony of sounds. And it is very difficult to distill uh, the words in the sentence. Right. What I do is I use uh, those picture sentences, like puzzle sentences, and I make a sentence of all the pictures. So every word has his own picture. 
and I put them in a sentence so that they can see, oh, this is a word, this is a word, because they don't even know the concept of what is a word. They have never been thinking of a language like we do. They don't know what a verb is, what an adverb is, what an article is. Even if you would say the word in their own language, they would not know what it is because they are illiterate. So they have never been thinking of what is a language? What is it made of? And that is something very important uh, to keep in your head when you're teaching. That's why I use these uh, picture sentences so that they can see that while you're making sentences with uh, words. Yeah, exactly, Yannick. And, and to explain a little bit to those who are listening to this, it, essentially what Yannick is meaning is that she has, if you imagine a puzzle piece, so like a piece of a jigsaw. So like I call them jigsaws in the US, you call them puzzles. And in each of those is like a word and the picture and they're related to each other. And then that one fits in the next piece of the puzzle. That one fits in the next piece of the puzzle. So it's like a little puzzle is being made before your eyes, a little jigsaw. But it essentially it's just showing them that a sentence is broken up into a variety of parts and that there are different words for different sounds. And this word represents this. And then we add another word and we add another word. And so... One of the big things I'm taking out of this is just how slow you're going with this, because, of course, you're starting from absolute zero. Like there is nothing to to hook that learning onto. There's nothing to relate it back to. Again, maybe some of you are listening to this at home going, ah, but, you know, I, I, I would never have students like that in my class. You don't know and you may well have. It just may like now, sadly, we're in a situation where with the climate crisis, with the ongoing war is that we are going to have many more refugees and many more people coming into our classrooms who have zero knowledge of your language and may have zero schooling, may have may be completely illiterate. And so we need to know some of these skills. It's a really, really important thing. So thank you for that, Yanni. We're coming towards the end of the conversation, but I've got a couple of more questions for you. I could talk to you for the next 12 hours, but I don't think publishing a 13 hour episode would go down very well. So I guess the next question would be, this is something, I guess, that comes from teachers who are working in a school environment. And, and I get this asked to me quite a lot. How do you go about assessing your students' progress when they're not able to read or write yet? How, how can you judge what progress they're making? And I'm not talking about official exams or anything like that, but just how do you assess their progress when, you, when they're not reading or writing? That is something else that is very difficult to check whether they understand you or not. And that's another reason why I use these uh, picture sentences, because if they have the picture sentences and I say, well, I have done a story first and then I give them the story in the picture sentences and then I can say, oh, ask them to point out the sentence that I said. Uh I can immediately see, oh, they understood it or they didn't understand at all. So that's another reason why I use this uh, picture sentences, uh, check comprehension. Uh, I also check comprehension by, for instance, I have done a clip chat and I made uh, print screens and then I describe a print screen and I want them 
to to pick out the correct uh, picture so I can immediately see whether they understand it or not. Right or wrong things are also, I say something and they have to uh, show me right or wrong. But even in brain breaks, I, I uh, do brain breaks. I make my brain breaks uh, like TPR is a brain break for yeah. me. I put the music on and we have to uh, walk and then I shout out something like point to the window and they have to do it. And then I, I say something uh, else. Uh, I always use words from the story I, I have been telling and then I can immediately see they understand it or they don't understand it. I also use online exercises. I can uh, put a picture in it and then I can uh, say something about the picture and they have to encircle it or they have to say yes or no by uh, recording themselves there are programs uh, to do so yeah that's it and and Yannick is going to share that with everyone it'll be on the program notes for this for this podcast all of those resources and loads and loads of fantastic resources that Yannick has kindly shared with pictures and picture stories and arrows and all sorts of stuff it's fantastic and I think Yannick just to pick up on a couple of things you said there that was really striking a chord with me was just that really important thing of the number one goal is just that they're understanding. And it's like Dr. Florentia Henshaw talks a lot about building the system and then gradually and slowly they can start to produce. What we mean by that is speaking or maybe writing at some stage. But the critical, important point is the comprehension because they need to build that system first. And that's a good lesson for all teachers listening to this because we often, even when we have total beginners, literate students in our class, we think they should be writing and speaking like from day one immediately really well, but they need to build the system first and it's okay that the output is slow and takes a lot of time. and they, they can't go fast because they have to remember every word. Like people who are literate, they can, they can check their notes after class. But our students, they can't. And you know, the strange thing is I have been working with uh, people who can read and write. And at one point, not in the beginning, what, but at one point, the people who are illiterate speak better Dutch than the people who are not who who can read and write. Interesting. Yes, it is very interesting. Uh, I have seen it so many times, and I think it has to do with the fact that they have to memorize everything. If you can read and write, you say, "Oh, I will check my notes afterwards." But only by reading one time your notes, you don't acquire the language. You don't acquire. There's such a brilliant lesson in that for everybody, isn't there? That 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 is just fantastic, and it shows you that the power of acquisition and listening intently to story and how that moves us forward. And there's more and more research coming out about this: the importance of stories, the importance of listening, the importance of listening to someone read something out to you, the importance of using images. Because you're right, then they will get to that fluency stage much quicker than someone else who is looking at their notes and thinking, "Oh, well, I've studied it now, so I'm good." Because that's just not how acquisition works the videos on the class app and my notes they can hear my notes right they hear and they see my notes because i make a video in which i point to everything i say everything so again they hear what i say and they see the image of what i say so they don't just read it they hear it they hear it they hear it so listening 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 that's uh, that's what they have to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess a lot of us maybe got better at this point to things from the coronavirus lockdown. I remember like I started
started making videos for my class, like silly little videos that I was making at home, really understandable, just about things that were going on in my life. And my students now, two years later, they're my current beginners. They're watching those and having fun with them and listening to them. And one of the things I did was I, I did a daily emoji story. Now, of course, you do need to be able to read for this, but it was a very basic story with lots of repetitions. But I use emojis for understanding. So I would say there is a boy in a blue house. And of course, then I'd have the emoji for blue and the emoji for house after those words. So they were linking the emoji to the word and just little things like that, you know, to help their understanding. The use of image is powerful. So, Yannick, I'm going to come to our final question. Again, we could talk all day, but right now, hopefully you are talking to thousands of language teachers all around the world. Some of them are working in situations very similar to yours, working with adults who have come from a lot of trauma in difficult circumstances. Some are working with very well-off students. Some are working in, in difficult situations in public schools and private schools. They're all over all different language has been spoken and learned. That's what I love about this podcast. It's just reached so many corners of the planet. It's incredible. What would you say are three really important things you would like them to take home after listening to this podcast? Three things that they would go, okay, here's three really important points I want to think about in my practice. Well, the first one is kind of my mantra. We were all born illiterate and uh, yet we all acquired the language even long before we could even read or write. So why should uh, illiterate people not acquire a language? We all did. So I think that is the most important thing to keep in your head when you're teaching illiterate people. So the second takeaway is I would argue that the CI approach is really feasible for illiterate adults. But you just have to adjust a lot of things. And you cannot do everything. There are things that you cannot do. But overall, it is a very good way of uh, working with illiterate uh, people. And third of all, I would like to point out uh, every teacher to uh, the use of uh, ICT in the lesson. That is That was really an eye-opener for me to see how much my students like to work with a class site on their on their cell phone. Of course, you have to make sure that the layout of your site, your class site, is uh, compatible to your cell phone. But since I use this uh, class site, uh, I see my students uh, acquire so much more easily the language. So don't be afraid to use ICT. Uh, they are very much open to that. Absolutely. On the contrary, they, often I see that they have less fear to use a website. It's very strange, but they are not afraid of all to do so. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, that's that thing. Using technology, yeah. using a website, it's very powerful. We have it and we can use it. And I think the biggest thing probably is that they're just getting so much more input yes. than in the past. Before we had a class website or before we had YouTube or before we had an, an, an ability to share these things through technology, they were only getting those inputs for those 35, 50 minutes that you have them. But now they can access, as you said, your little videos, your little stories, your little pictures all through your website throughout the whole week as they're waiting to see you again. So that's fantastic. Well, Yannick, thank you so much. Thank you, Vel. Bedankt. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. 
you are a real inspiration and I genuinely mean that you have inspired me uh, to go and, and do even more work with the, the refugee centre here and start to teach French with them even though it's not my strongest language that is the language they need so that is the one that I am trying to, to get them to a level that they can use it and most of them are illiterate or coming from very difficult circumstances and have very very low literacy so I've learned so much from watching you and putting into place lots of these things I'm just starting that journey but it's very exciting so so thank you so much and thank you for the invitation uh, it was great to be here and thank you for the lovely words you're welcome you're welcome so that was Yannick van der Stocken so wonderful to have her here in front of me if you ever get the opportunity to go to a conference where she's presenting go to her session it is going to change your practice I guarantee that of course this is the Motivated Classroom podcast and we must have our Irish phrase for today and our Irish for today is the phrase togabuggy now that again when you hear that you may think that's one word but that's actually four words togabuggy and togabuggy means calm down relax keep it calm it's all good and you'll often hear that it's a very common expression in Ireland even when people are talking in English someone comes in and they're full of energy or they're annoyed or they're stressed and someone will say ah come on just means calm down take it easy so that's your Irish expression for today a huge thank you to all of the listeners and please do continue to get in touch we love to hear what you think about the episode and a massive bedankt thank you well to all of my patrons of the podcast who keep this going with your coffee and crisps every week the motivated classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer the motivated classroom Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.